be the oldest song that we will ever sing, I think, uh, and sing a song straight from the scriptures uh, in church. Uh, we'll sing a song that was written in approximately 600 uh, A.D., uh, but a song that is still true even today, over 1,400 years later. Uh, we'll, we'll sing the song now. It's called Be Thou My Vision, and it is a great song for us to consider as we enter into a new year. Thank you. 
and that is our prayer for this year. That God, that no matter what happens, whatever befall, still be my vision, a ruler of all. Let's go ahead and take a few minutes of, of fellowship before we get to the sermon. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, and we're back in our study in Matthew after a month off for Christmas. And now, today, we begin year number four 
in Matthew. And we will finish Matthew this year, I think. We'll see. Uh, Matthew chapter 24. As I'm slowing down as we get further into Matthew because I really just don't want to see it end. I've enjoyed it so much. And, and here we are in Matthew 24. And this is, I've called it, Jesus' extraordinary teaching on his own second coming. This is the best teaching in the entire Bible on the second coming of Christ. You can find nothing better than what Jesus teaches in Matthew 24. And I, I think it's extraordinary. I think it's excellent. I've had several of you come to me privately and say, Josh, this is some of the best stuff we've ever studied in all your time here at the church. And I agree. This has been so good. And we've, we've taken it really verse by verse and word by word. And here we are t- today in kind of a trans- transition passage. As he, I think he's going to go from talking about the signs that we'll see of his coming to when his coming is going to take place. So you'll see both of those things in the passage today. But I want to answer the question here today, how can we know for sure that Jesus is coming back? I think there's nothing really more important other than our own salvation, knowing that we're saved, than knowing that Jesus will come back one day. We need to know that with certainty. We need to know we're 100% sure that Jesus will come back. So I want to answer that question. I want to give you certainty in the new year that we have a great hope that Jesus will come back again one day. So I want to read this passage to you today, verses 32 to 35. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And these are a short four verses that we're going to look at today. How can we know for sure that Jesus is coming back? And we can know for sure. So, and Jesus will give us here a, a guarantee that he will come back. Starting there in verse 32. It says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is not. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, Till all these things be fulfilled. And here's a great promise. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What a great verse and what a great passage for us to study for the new year. Giving us certainty for the new year that Jesus will come back. And we don't know. It could be in 2022. And we need to be ready for that. So let's pray together and we'll study these verses. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the word that, that, that Jesus says here, that heaven and earth will pass away, that, that your word is more certain than the sun coming up tomorrow. And we have great certainty in what it says. So God, I pray as we build our lives upon it and we build our church upon your word, that we will build this sermon upon your word, that nothing that I say will be of my own understanding, my own thoughts, my own opinions, but it would come directly from the words on this page. And God, teach us by your word, sanctify us by your word. And God, I pray that you'd save people today through the preaching and the power of your word. Help us today to understand these things and and give us certainty and hope in the coming year. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to start with a statement that the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a very big deal. I think it's uh, such a big deal that it is central to the Christian faith. That everybody who is a true, real, born-again child of God believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is one of the the most important subjects in the entire Bible. And I'll prove it to you. It's mentioned in the Bible. You maybe not believe this, but it is. You can look it up. Count for yourself. It's mentioned over 1,800 times in the Bible. 
It is mentioned one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament. Jesus mentions it over 21 times in, in three years of His ministry. So if it's, if it's mentioned that many times, then it, that, it is that important to God. And it should be that important to us. It is a central teaching of the Christian faith. It is the culmination of the Gospel. We always give the Gospel and we tell what Jesus did and dying on the cross for our sins and being buried and, and risen again. And then we tell of His ascension and his of his soon return it is a culmination of the gospel that jesus not only uh, accomplished a victory but he is coming back again one day we believe that we we love that truth it's we believe it's how all human history will come to an end we believe in the second coming of jesus christ but not only is it a big deal i think that it's also very confused i think it's one of the most confused subjects in all the bible I think that it's one of the most overlooked subjects in all the Bible because people think that it's so confusing and we can't know much about it, so we'll just overlook it. And I think it's also one of the most doubted subjects in all the Bible. That people mock it and, and they'll, they'll uh, make fun of it. Second Peter 3 says this, There shall come in the last days scoffers, who when you talk about the second coming, they'll scoff. And what the word scoff means is they'll do, you really believe that? Scoffers will say, what do you think? You're crazy. You think Jesus is coming back? So in the last day, scoffers will come. And they'll walk after their own lust and they'll say, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So they'll mock it. They'll deny it. They'll be sarcastic about it. They'll say, you believe that? Where is He, where is he at? You've been, you've been saying this since He left and 2,000 years later and here we are. Where is He? If He's coming back, why don't we see Mocking, sarcasm, denial. They'll say it's not true. They'll say it's unbelievable. They'll say it's outrageous. They'll say, what are you saying? You guys are fools to believe this. So I want to say here today that I do and we do as a church believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is coming back. We believe that Jesus will come back and that a lot of people will be surprised when Jesus shows up and starts judging everybody. Jesus is going to show up and, and He's going to judge the unrighteous. He's going to judge the unbelievers. Those who have denied Him and, and scoffed and made fun of, Jesus is coming back and He will judge the unrighteous. We believe He's going to come back and He's going to reward the righteous. Those whose, whose faith is in Him, He will come back and He will, will reward those who have preached the second coming, have loved the second coming, who believed in the second coming. Jesus is coming back to set up the kingdom. We believe He's going to come back and He's going to rule and reign from His throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And guess what? We also believe that those who love Him and believe in Him will rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. We believe Jesus is coming back. We believe that. We believe that this is how human history will end. We believe that this is our motivation for today that we live with one eye on the world and another eye looking to the skies knowing Jesus could come back at any time. So we live in light of His second coming. This is our hope for tomorrow. The Puritans used to say, I don't look forward to dying or the grave. I look forward to Jesus coming back. That was their hope in this life. This is what we wait for. The glorious appearing of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the question has to be, Josh, how do you know for sure? Give us certainty on this. I know you're saying we believe these things, but I, I'm not so sure. So today... 
This passage, these four verses, gives us 100% certainty so that you can walk out of the church today and you won't care who you proclaim it to. We believe Jesus is coming back. So let's get a guarantee from Jesus himself. And, and let's look. I want to give you today greater hope. I want to give you stronger confidence. I want you to go into the new year knowing Jesus is coming back. So four verses, three points. How can we know for sure Jesus is coming back? Verse 32, I want to give you number one, the parable of the second coming. The parable of the second coming. And you see that there in verse 32 that he says, now learn a parable. I mean, you, you see that. It's, it's right there in front of our eyes. Now learn a, a parable. Jesus now wants to tell a story. And I said this, this is a transition passage. He's gone from giving us the signs of his second coming, and now he's going to give us the time of his second coming. And these four verses kind of stand in the, in the middle of answering those two questions. He's, he's, he's transitioning. So he says, now I want you to learn something. I want you to, to know something. I want you to understand something. I want you to get this. That's what that learn is. Get this. So I want you to get this. Learn this. And he tells a story of a fig tree. Jesus likes fig trees for some reason. I think there are a lot of fig trees in, in Jerusalem and Israel. So he looks and says, like a fig tree. You know, we look around, we say, like this or like that, the things that we see and understand. So he, he would look and say, like the fig tree. He, he just got done cursing a fig tree. It had no fruit. And he, and he says, cursed is a fig tree like, like the nation of Israel. So he cursed one. And now he, he looks at one and, and he says, look at this fig tree. In, in Luke 21, he says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. So he's just looking at it, at all the trees now. And he says this. And we understand this. This is easy. When the branch is yet tender, and starts bearing leaves, you know that summer's coming. That's easy. When you look around and start seeing the leaves start to change, and buds starting to come out, we all know, we can all see, the seasons are changing, right? We're doing that right now, when you start to see the, the, the snowfall from the sky. We all see that, and we all run for milk and bread. We see the signs in the sky. The season is changing and there's something we've got to do. You do that in the summertime when, when you start to see flowers start to bud and, and the trees start to change. You say, summer's coming. i got to get out my swimming trunks. And then in the fall, you start to see the leaves change and they're, they're so beautiful. And then they, you say, okay, winter's coming. got to get my sweaters out now. We all know that. We, we, this is an easy story. The, the key here is it's obvious. When the seasons start changing, you can look to the trees and it's obvious. It's clear to anybody who has eyes that the seasons are changing. We watch the trees. We see the blossoms. This is obvious. It's easy for us to see the signs of a season's change. My kids get this. Emma gets this. My little girl, she gets this. We all know this. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you look at the trees, you see everything changing, you know and it's close, it's near, it's around the corner, right? We're smart enough for this. Easy story. You say, why are they telling us about leaves changing and knowing that, that the summer is coming? Because now he changes it. Watch this. He gives us the application. So likewise, here it is. Here's what he means by this story. So likewise, here's the lesson. There's more to the story than trees and leaves in summer. He's not going to leave us to guess. Jesus tells us exactly what he means by this. So likewise, when you shall see, and that's, a, that's an important word there, when you shall see, 
when you see these things with your own eyes, like you see the, the leaves changing on a tree, like you see the, the, the snowflakes falling in the sky, when you see it with your own eyes, when you see what? All these things. Key term. Says it twice. Verse 33, when you see all these things. Verse 34, till all these things be fulfilled. So we have to know what all these things are. All these things are the leaves in verse 32, right? When you see the, the leaves, that would be all these things. When you see the, the leaves start to change and the flowers start to bud and the fruit coming out, when you see those things, those are the, the signs of a season changing, when you see that, so what are the all things he says here? I believe that the all things are the signs that he had just given them. Verse 3, look at it. And he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came in and privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be? That's the, the timing question, when? And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered those two questions with the signs first and the timing second. We'll answer the timing question next week, but we've spent the last three or four months answering the sign question. What are the signs of his coming? And he has given sign after sign after sign after sign of his coming. I, I, I believe from verse 4 to, to verse 31 are all the signs of his coming. These, that is all these things. The, the deception and the, the wars and rumors of wars and the, the, the catastrophes and the famines and the pestilence and the earthquakes in, in strange places. All these things are signs. These are all these things. So this is when you see all these things, verse 21, the worst time ever. When you see all these things, know, understand, recognize that the seasons are changing in the world. Know, it says that it's near. Even at the doors. You say, what does that mean? You'll know. See, this is, this is so, so simple. You'll know. When you see all these things, you'll know, back to verse 3, the sign of His coming and of the end of the world. When you see all these signs, you'll know that it's time for His coming and of the end of the world. That's what He's saying there. So, when you see all these things, you'll know it's almost time. You'll know, just like you've been looking at the trees, you'll know, okay, it's almost time now. I'm seeing all these things line up. I'm seeing all this stuff that he's taught, told us about. I'm seeing all the signs. So I know that it's obvious, it's clear that it's almost time. Know that Christ is at the door. That's what it says. He's at the door. Even at the doors. You'll know that Christ has gotten up from his throne. You'll know that he's walked up to the door that separates heaven from earth. You'll know that he's reaching out for the, the door handle. You'll know that he's ready to turn it and, and ready to open it and, and to burst onto the scenes. When you see all these signs, you'll know that Jesus is about to open the door and come again. That's what it's saying. You say, what does this mean for us? I'll tell you, it's not wrong for us to look at the world events and see where we are in God's calendar. I think God wants us to keep one eye on His Word and, a, and another eye on the, the, the signs of the times. And I believe that we need to, as we look for the seasons to change, we need to look for the, the signs of the time. I don't think we can know the day and the hour, but I think God wants us to know the season. 
He'll say that in, in verse 36, with the day and hour you don't know. No man knows. Not even angels in heaven. Only my Father. So no, we don't know the day and the hour. But you can tell by watching the signs, the season, when it'll happen. He's starting to transition into when is it going to happen. We can know the season. And I believe uh, that's why he gives us signs. He wants us to pay attention. He wants us to be in the know. He wants us to understand. He wants us to watch things. He wants us to watch the signs like we watch the seasons. And I'm going to say this, and I believe this with, with all of my heart, that I believe that we're living in a season now where we're starting to see the leaves change. I believe the day we're living in right now, there's greater deception than any other time in the history of the world. And Jesus said there'd be a great deception, did he not? I believe that we're living in a day where there's a greater disruption in our world than there's ever been at any time in history. I believe that we're seeing a great upheaval. I believe our times are more deadly, more disastrous, and even on a more worldwide scale than they've ever been. We went through the signs and I said it'll, it'll start to escalate where it's just a little bit here and, and then it'll start to spread out all over the globe. And, and we're seeing all the escalation of all these things, the pestilences and the earthquakes and the, the, the changing of the times. We're, we're seeing all these things happen right in front of our eyes. He wants us to watch the seasons. It's happening all around us. It's happening right in front of our eyes. And I'll even say, I think we're living in a time where it's more dangerous right now to be a Christian than in any other time. These are all the signs that Jesus has given us. And he wants us to know and to see that when this starts to happen, that Jesus is right at the door, ready to turn the handle and ready to step out on the stage of world history. It's happening right in front of us. Jesus is standing at the door. It is closer than it's ever been before. And we go on with our lives like nothing is happening. Can you imagine? And right now, I know it's supposed to snow tonight. And, and some people say it's going to be uh, just a little bit of snow. And other people say it's going to be like 16 feet of snow. Anywhere, that's what the weatherman says. It could be anywhere between no snow and a lot of snow. Get ready for something. Storms are going to be packed out today. I, I get that. And we, we, we see all these things change. And we are moved to action. We've got to do something to get ready when the seasons change. But we're watching as Christians as the season is changing and Jesus is standing at the door and He's ready to turn the, the door handle and to step out and, and to explode upon human history and we are doing nothing about it. We're not preparing ourselves. We're not ready for it. I, he's going to say that in the next few verses. We've got to be ready today. Right now. It can happen at any time. Be ready for Jesus to come back in 2022. We've got people just acting like nothing is happening. Churches are still empty. People are still living like, like nothing is going on. We're seeing it all around us more clear than we've ever seen it before and nobody's changing anything. Jesus says you've got to see these things. You've got to know these things. You've got to understand these things. And when you start to see it happening, when you start to see society changing, you better get ready. Jesus is standing at the door. It's close. So this parable shows us very clearly that Jesus could come soon. That's the parable. Let's move to the second point. I want to give you the problem. And it's not a problem for Jesus. I don't think it's a problem for the disciples. I, I titled it the problem because I think it's a problem for everybody else. It says, as, as he moves on to verse 34, he says, Verily, I say unto you. And 
This verse here, he says, this generation shall not pass to all these things. There's all these things, again, I underlined it, be fulfilled. This verse, in particular, verse 34, you may not think so, but open up a book on this subject. This verse here has been called one of the most difficult sayings that Jesus ever said. This verse here has been more highly and hotly debated than any other verse in the New Testament. This verse here has more viewpoints on it than I could even count. This verse here has been twisted and turned and, and thrown around and confused and caused people to walk away from the faith. This is a, a problem verse as it talks about the people who will be alive when he comes. I actually looked it up last night. I said, I'm going I'm to take one last stab at it and study a little bit more just to see if I'm right. I looked up Charles Spurgeon. I said, what does Spurgeon say about this? You guys know I love Spurgeon. And if, if, if me and if Spurgeon are on the same page, then, then we're, I'm good to go. So I said, what does Spurgeon say about it? I hadn't looked it up this week. I said, well, let's see what Spurgeon said about it. 1800s, the Prince of Preachers, whatever he says, he has to be right. So what would you say, Spurgeon? Looked it up. Went reading, reading, reading. Spurgeon skipped it. <laughs> said, okay, let me find another guy. Spurgeon, you, you, you disappointed me. I went to Matthew Henry, one of the great common commentators of all time. He has commented on every verse in the entire Bible. It's free. You can download it, and it's good. So I go, I go scrolling, looking for his. He had a comment on verse 32. He had a comment on verse 33. He had a comment on verse 35. I'm scrolling. Where's verse 34? Where's verse 34? He skipped verse 34. So we have to work at this. What does verse 34 mean? I'll give you the problem with it in just a second. But I, I, want, to, I want you to know that I'm not going to skip this. I, I think that we can't be lazy with it. I think we've got to work at it. I think that the, the, the best cookies are found on the highest shelf. And we've got to go work at it. We've got to reach out. We've got to see what it says and what it means. So let's, let's look at it. I want to give you uh, the, the problem. Then I'm going to give you the options. And then I'm going to give you the right answer. <laughs> It says, Verily I say unto you, which is, this is an important verse. He says, I'm telling you the truth. This is something very important. Every word Jesus says is true and is important. But sometimes when he says, Verily, verily I say unto you, this is a little bit more important than everything else. So now he says, okay, this is, this is very important. And then he says, This generation shall not pass until every single one of these things is fulfilled. And we just said that all these things were every single sign that he gave in Matthew 24. So he's saying this generation will not die until all these signs be fulfilled. I don't know if you guys see the problem, but we have to ask ourselves, who's that generation that's going to be alive when all these things are fulfilled? Who's the generation? All these things, again, are the signs of Matthew 24. So, so what, who is that generation that's going to be alive? Who are the people that will be there when Jesus returns? I'm going to give you the options. I thought about not just, just, just telling you guys what it means without telling you how problematic it is. And you guys would just believe me. We'd go on about our day. But I'm going to give you the options and let you choose. Okay? I'm going to give you four options. Who is the generation that he talks about here? Option number one. The generation is the current generation that Jesus is talking to in that moment. He's on the Mount of Olives. He's talking to his 12 disciples. 
So some people would say it means that generation that he's currently talking to and living in. They would say that a generation is about 40 years and that all those things that he talks about in Matthew 24 were fulfilled from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So everything that that he said would happen in, in Matthew 24 has already happened and there's nothing else to happen in the future. That's option number one. That it happened in that time. It happened in 70 A.D. You know the problem with that? There's a lot of, a lot of Christians that believe that. I read a lot of commentators this week that, that believed that it already happened. That none of these things are, are left to be fulfilled. The problem with that is, if you read Matthew 24, do you think all those things have already happened? Just in, a, in an easy, simple reading, do you believe that those things have already happened? Do you believe that the gospel went to the entire world in 70 A.D.? I don't think so. Do you believe that they saw the worst time in the history of the world that ever will be in 70 AD? I don't think so. Do you believe the sun went dark and the moon went out and the stars fell from the sky? Do you believe that, that they saw the sign of the Son of Man coming in, in the clouds of glory with the angels? Do you believe all that happened in 70 AD? I say no. Option number one, off the list. You guys want option number one? You, you have your right to be wrong. Option number two says that this is that Jesus here was wrong. That he said all these things would happen in in that generation, and then none of those things happened in that generation. And they say that Jesus was just wrong. And many people, many people have said this is the most troublesome and problematic verse in the Bible for Christians to defend. Because it's obvious that these things didn't happen in that generation. None of us here should believe that. Because Jesus never said anything wrong. So if we've got a problem, it's a problem on our end and not on Jesus' end. So this one is a no. I don't think anybody in here would believe option number two. Option number three, I think these last two are the most, uh, the best options. Option number three, and I know I'm teaching a little bit here, but you guys need some teaching every now and then. Option number three would be that it's the Jewish generation. Because the word generation can mean a people or a family or a nation. There's people that would say that this is the that the Jewish race will not pass away until every one of these things are fulfilled. That Jesus is talking to Jews, and, and, and he used it in verse 36. He said that, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And he's talking to this people who, who have turned away from him, the Jews. So the Jewish people will last until the end. That, that's a, I think that's possible. And I think it's true that there, there will be, the Jewish people will last all the way up until the end. That God has a plan all the way to the end for the Jewish people. But I don't think it can be found here. I think it's a miracle that the Jewish nation still exists today. I think it's proof that Jesus is, is telling the truth and, and that there's a Jewish nation in the world right now. After all the things that the Jews have been through, the persecution and the Holocaust and people trying to kill them and, and rid the world of, of the Jews and they still exist, that, that's a, a miracle of God. So this is a possible option. And if you, if you believe that one, fine. I'm just not convinced yet. I can be. But I want to go with option number four. Option number four would be that this would this is talking about the final generation. The last generation to be alive on earth. 
the generation that sees these signs. I just said it, you have to see the signs. So the signs are in the future, so the generation needs to be in the future. This generation didn't see the signs. These things didn't happen here. So the generation that sees the signs will be the generation that doesn't die until every bit of it's done. That, that's what I think is the, the best option. The signs are yet to come, so the generation is, is yet to come. It's the generation that sees the leaves change that will be the generation that will be the last. The generation that won't pass until it all happens. Just like when you see leaves change, it takes a long time to get there, but when it does, it happens so fast. We were driving through, through the uh, to pound one day in the fall. We were looking at the leaves, and it was so beautiful how they were turning. And I told the kids, I said, you better get a picture of it right now. Because the next time we drive by, it could be barren and nothing on the trees. And they were saying, no, no, we'll be able to get a picture of it next week, Dad. Dad's foolish. Next time we drove through, I said, get you a picture now, kids. Ain't nothing up there now. Told you so. They all fail. They all fail like that. And you know what? As winter goes away, it'll be like that. And then he leaves on the tree again. And that's what this passage is saying. You better watch because it will build slowly. But when it happens, it's going to happen like that. It'll happen in a short period of time that the generation will see the signs and the generation that sees the signs will be the generation that sees all the signs. Short period of time, like maybe seven years. So that generation, final generation, the last generation, will see all these things be fulfilled. So if we say, and I'm going to change the point here, but if we say, like we did in the first point, that we're seeing all these signs. And I think you agreed with me, you guys have been kind of quiet today, but I think everybody agreed with me that we're watching the seasons change in the world today. I think you guys nodded a little bit. You amened a little bit. Some of you might have just been falling asleep. I'm not sure. Nod like that, fine. I'll take it. But you guys were all in agreement, I think, uh, across the board that we're seeing unprecedented things happening in our world today that the world has never seen before. That we're seeing the signs. We're seeing the time. We're seeing the leaves change. We're seeing that. We agree there. Then can we also say that we just might be the final generation in the history of the world. The generation that sees the signs is the last generation to ever live. We might be the final generation. We are living in the last days. And Jesus says, when you start seeing those things, that you'll see all those things. That it won't just be one or two, and it builds and it builds. You're going to see, when it starts to turn, it's going to happen real fast, and you're going to be right there in the middle of every single bit of it. Amen. That could be us. We need to start getting ready right now. Amen. We're seeing the signs change. How are we going to change? What are we going to do different? I'm going to preach it next week because I think that's the, the main point of what he says in the next passage. Because he's just going to repeat it over and over and over. Watch, be ready, uh, be faithful, do something different, live different in light of, of this truth that you've just heard. That these things are happening and, that, and, it, and it's building towards this. You'd better be ready for the return of Christ. I, I want to spend 2022 getting every one of you ready for what could happen. That we won't be found unfaithful when Jesus returns. 
Are we living in the final generation? Maybe. Possibly. Likely. But I won't say certainly. We can know the season, but none, none of us know the day and the hour. So you convinced Chant that Jesus is coming back. I, I want to try to settle it with this last verse. Um, maybe you're 90%. I want, to, I want to put you to 100. So let's look at this last one. I'll show you the parable of the second coming and the, the problem. And if we've answered the problem, let's call that point the people of the second coming. I'm ready for everything. To the promise of the second coming. The last verse there. Verse, there, verse 35. Now he says, and this is a promise. You, you could label that promise right on that verse. He says there, and, and I think there's two promises here. First one, the world is passing away. Second, my word will not pass away. Promise. Number one, I want you to see that heaven and earth shall pass away. And that's an emphatic statement that he says it's going to happen. When you see shall pass away, it's going to happen. Heaven and earth will eventually pass away. The word pass away would be even, even die. That when we say somebody dies, we say they pass away. He's saying heaven and earth will not last. It, it's not permanent. That's, that's what he's saying there. This is a, a big statement that if, if any environmentalists are watching me, they're going to get real mad. Heaven and earth is going away. It's dying. Verse 2, he said the temple's coming down. I think he's, it, it's, it, it connects. He told him, see you not all these things, looking at the temple? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another. that shall not be thrown down. So the temple is going down. It's coming down, not one stone that will be left. And in verse 35, it's not the temple that's coming down, it's heaven and earth that's coming down. And not in a little way, the entire created universe, heaven above us, the ground beneath us, is all going to crumble and fall one day. It'll all fall apart. We've seen it as we studied Revelation 6 through 19, that the sun will go out and the moon will go out and stars will fall from the sky and meteors will hit and the oceans will be, will be almost poisonous. And all of it's going away. All of the earth is going to fall apart one day and there's nothing we can do to stop it. The earth will fall apart, the sky will disintegrate. And it won't be by water like it was with Noah. It will be by fire. Turn with me. I don't know if you guys are awake, so let's hear some Bibles turning. Second Peter. I hear a little bit. Second Peter. Chapter 3. I quoted a little bit of it earlier. Watch this. This is what's going to happen to the earth. Environmentalists are really not happy with us. Not that they're watching anyway. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I'm going to keep reading. But that verse right there is jaw-dropping. That's where the earth is going. With a fervent heat. Verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness? 
looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to this promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. The key there is the earth is passing away. The earth will not last. It's not permanent. It's temporary. There's no saving it. There's no stopping it. There's no reason for us to celebrate Earth Day on April 22nd. The earth and everything in it will be burned up. The sky will fall. And everything that we see around us as we know it will disintegrate. The earth and the heavens are not permanent. They will not last. The world is temporary. The world is passing away. The world will not last. We cannot count on the world around us. The beauty of the world, it won't last. The oceans, enjoy them while you can. The seasons that we expect to change every year won't last. The ground beneath our feet that we expect to be there when we wake up in the morning we put our feet on the ground and we walk day by day and we expect that there's nothing more permanent or nothing that I can stand on, nothing that I can count on any more than the ground is going to shake underneath our feet. You can't count on it. The sun that we expect to rise every day. The old song says the sun will come up tomorrow. Every morning we think oh the sun's going to come out can't count on it. The moon, you can't count on it. The stars, can't count on them. All temporary, all passing, all fleeting, and we cannot count on any single bit of it. He says here, I'm going back to Matthew, heaven and earth will beyond a shadow of a doubt pass away. And then in contrast, I love this, the world and everything in it is temporary passing, you can't count on it, but his words shall not pass away. He's giving you something you can count on. There's nothing in this world that you can count on, but there is something He gives us that you can take to the bank, guarantee it, count on this. Not the world that we live in, but the words He just said. I love that. He's saying specifically here, the words He said, Matthew 24, the prophecy He just gave, His second coming, all these signs are more certain than the sun coming up tomorrow. You hear that all the time. You have a bad day. Well, the sun will come up tomorrow. Jesus' words are more certain than the sun coming up tomorrow. That's how certain they are. We can count on the second coming of Christ more than we can count on the sun coming up. I'm going to keep saying that. More than you can count on the moon being out there tonight. More than you can count on the stars staying where they are. More than you can count on the ground beneath your feet. More than you can count on anything in existence. You can count on these words. This is good. We can count on the second coming more than we can count on the snow tonight. More than the, He's more trustworthy than the weatherman. And if Jesus says He's coming again, we need to move to action. Johnny Wood says snow's coming. Whoa! Everybody gets up. Jesus says, I'm coming back. And it's like, ah, 
You can count on Jesus more than you can count on a weatherman. I like that. This is great. How can we know that Jesus is coming back? How can we know for sure? Beyond a shadow of a doubt? A hundred percent? Because Jesus said so. A promise is only as good as the one making the promise. Jesus just made a promise. And if Jesus makes a promise, you can count on that promise. Never broken a promise. This is good. Matthew 24 is the plan for the end of the world. And Jesus here is making a statement that it will never change. No matter what you think, this is how it's going to happen. There's no plan B, no plan C, there's only plan A, and this is exactly how things are going to come to pass. There's no altering, no shifting, nothing out of control. This is how God planned it, and this is how it will go. Every single word He said will come to pass. Count on it. And I like this. People say, well, it's been a thousand years, it's not happened yet. (laughs) I say Jesus promised it and it's going to happen more sure than the sun coming up tomorrow. Let me show you what this means, and I'll stop. Which means I've got about 20 minutes left. When Jesus says, but my words, I stopped there. Who else can say that? Who else can say, but my words will never go away? He said, my words, only God could make that statement. Nobody else could make that statement. You walked up to me right now and said, my words will last for eternity. (laughs) I said, you're foolish. Your words ain't going to make it out of this day. But his words will last for all eternity. Jesus is making a statement that my words are scripture. (laughs) Matthew 5, 18, he says, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. His words are on the same level as scripture. He's making a statement there that my words are God's words. That's a big statement. Not only is he saying his words are God's words, he's saying his words are permanent. Every single word is permanent. This isn't just, he's not just saying, get this, he says my words. I think specifically he's talking about Matthew 24 and the prophecy of his second coming, that it's as certain as his, his words are certain. But I think it goes beyond that to where he's saying every single word that is in this book is permanent. Every word is more, in, in, is more permanent than the world. The world has an expiration date. The word of God does not have an expiration date. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It's invincible. You want to give your kids, I hear these people say this all the time, and I'm not against being a good steward of the world that God has placed me in. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go out and throw trash out my windows I'm driving down the road. But I hear these environmentalists, and it's not just environmentalists today, it's politicians, it's, it's, it's people, I mean, I talk to people uh, locally that, that say, oh, we gotta, we got to protect the environment, it's global warming, it's, it's, it's global cooling, it's global climate change, it's, it's all these things. We, we've got to give our kids a, a better planet than what we have. We've got to give our kids a, the world. If you want to give your kids something that lasts, don't give them the world, give them the word of God. That's what we need to be giving our kids. 
The world has an expiration date. The word of God does not have an expiration date. So we need to take the word of God and pass that on to our kids. Not, not, and again, I'm not saying to just do whatever you want. We've got to be good stewards with, with what the world God's given us. He's, he's, he told us to Adam and Eve to take care of the garden, to take care of the world. We do that. We don't just haphazardly uh, destroy it. But I'm not trying to save it. I'm not trying to give my kids a better world tomorrow. I'm trying to give my kids the word of God because it lasts forever. Grass withereth, flower fadeth, but the word of God will stand forever. There's an atheist named Voltaire. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. Him being an atheist tells you everything you need to know about him. Not just that he was an atheist and didn't believe in God, but he was an atheist that opposed everything about God. That he was an atheist who, who could have easily, atheists could easily just say, I ain't going to talk about God. Just, just forget it. I'm going to live my life and have nothing to do with God. That's one way to be an atheist. Another way to be an atheist is to throw your fist up at God and fight everything that God says. Voltaire was an atheist who fought everything that God said. He hated God. He despised God. He didn't want to have anything to do with God. He opposed God and His Word. And as he was dying, he said this. Get this. In a hundred years, nobody... In France, we'll be reading a Bible. He's gone. Bible's still being read all over the world. We have an expiration date, but the Word of God stands forever. It's invincible. Charles Spurgeon got up. I said something bad about him earlier. Let me say something good. Balance it out. Spurgeon got up in a sermon one time. And he brought a bunch of books with him, which was weird. When you come into the pulpit, you bring one book with you. Spurgeon brought a handful of books. I mean, they said he had it stacked up. And then he stood up and he opened each one. He'd take one off the top and he'd open it up and he'd say, this is Plato. Or he'd open up the next one. He'd say, this is Socrates. He'd open up another one. He'd say, this is Shakespeare. He's, he's the, uh, one of the greatest writers in the history of the world. But he would take these books and he'd take Plato and he'd open it up and he'd say, Plato, this is, this is what he wrote and who, who he was. He'd take Plato and he'd throw him down and he'd say, this is the words of man. It passes away. He'd take Socrates. Who is this guy? What did he write? This is the words of man. It'll pass away. Shakespeare. I read a Shakespeare thing the other day. Didn't understand a word of it. This is the words of Shakespeare. He wrote things that nobody understands, that you have to have some kind of cliff notes just to get it. Gracie was doing it in school. She handed it to me. Dad, what does this mean? I said, Steph, what does this mean? <laughs> Steph told me what it meant. I told Gracie what it meant. Gracie was impressed with me. This is Shakespeare. Closed it, threw it down, and said, words of man that will not last. We can do the same thing with the, the writers of today, the scientists. This is the words of man. It'll pass away. The words of our politicians, this is the words of man. It'll pass away. This is the words of educators. It will pass away. This is the words of all these people that we listen to today and we love today. This is the words of Facebook today. And we read it and we read it and we read it. This is the words that pass away. And then Spurgeon, after he got all those books and got down to he had no books left and there's only one book left standing. Well, smart. What's Spurgeon doing with all these books? He's proving a point that all these words of man are going to pass away and they have no place in the pulpit. No place whatsoever. We do not preach what man says. And he took the word of God and he held it up high in front of a congregation of thousands in England. And he said these words, this is the word of God 
and it liveth and abideth forever. It will not pass away. This is something to build on when the world is falling apart. Understand me. This is good stuff. Our world is falling apart all around us. It's falling apart politically. It's falling apart economically. It's falling apart medically. It's falling apart spiritually. Churches are dying left and right. Christians are are apostatizing. It's all over the place. Everywhere we turn. And looking at you today in 2022, what are you going to build your life upon? As the world falls down and crumbles all around us, we only have one thing that will be left standing at the end of 2022 and the end of the world. And it's the Word of the living God. This is what we build on. This is what we stand on. This is what we preach. We read it, study it, learn it, love it, share it. This is the Word of God. I have nothing else to say but the Word of God. Give our kids this. Give the culture this. Give our country this. Give our town this. Give Facebook this. Give Twitter this. Be more in the Word of God this year than any other man's words. We need the Word of God. This is something we can count on. My kids need this more than they need their meal tomorrow morning. We need the Word of God. And the Word of God says... Jesus is coming back. We can count on it. We can bank on it. What hope for the new year? So the question is, Chris just, he just ruined it for me. I said, Jesus is coming back. Chris said, you better be ready. That's exactly right, Chris. You better be ready. That's the next thing on my, on my notes. Are you ready? He's coming back. It could be 2022. It could happen today. I, I don't know. And the question is, you sitting in your pews, I just told you He's coming back. The, the signs are in the sky. We're seeing it all around us. This generation could be it. His Word is telling the truth. So you're sitting there. It's 100% sure He's coming back. It could be today. You need to be ready. Everybody in here needs to get ready. You don't need to be ready tomorrow, next week, or next month. You need to get ready today. Right now, in this moment, you need to make sure you're saved and right with God. Because He comes back, He's going to start judging the unbelievers. Ain't no doubt about it. People put on their tattoos. Only God can judge me. Well, He will if you ain't right with Him. You can bank on that one too. You're going to stand before God one day and He could come back in a split second and you know where you'll be standing before Almighty God. And if you ain't right with Him and your sins aren't washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and your faith isn't in His Son, then you will be judged then and for all eternity. You better make sure right now, in this moment, in this second, that you're right with God. Now, get right with God. He's coming back. Unbelievers need to get saved. Christians need to start getting ready. We need to be in church more. We need to be reading our Bibles more. We better start living a little different. We need, we need to change some things. Are you ready? I'll read you one more quote and I'm done. If you're not ready here today, George Whitfield said this. I offer you this day salvation. He says the door of mercy is not yet shut. What he means there is that the door of salvation is open. Jesus hasn't turned the, the, the knob and stepped out into to history yet. 
The door of mercy is not yet shut. There does yet remain a sacrifice for sin. For all that will accept the Lord Jesus Christ, He's open and willing to save you. He says, and if you do, if you accept Him, if you believe in Him, He will embrace you in His arms of love. All your sins will be forgiven and you'll be right with Him. So I offer you salvation this day for anybody and everybody who wants it. So will you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Will you put your faith in Him and say my hope in life and eternity solely in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for me? Then you could be saved today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. This was good for me this first Sunday of the new year. To be reconfirmed in what we do here. That there's all kinds of things, fads and culture, that we could turn to. They're all passing and they're all fading. But God, what we do here is open up your word and we study it. And we preach it. We read it and we apply it. We work at it. And really the only thing we have to offer is your word. So God, help us this new year to stay true to it, to our commitment to preach the word, in season, out of season, that we would reprove and rebuke with all long-suffering and patience and doctrine. Help us to do that, God. Help me to do that. And help our people sitting in the pews to be more committed to your word than they ever have been. I pray they'll read it this year. I pray they'll study it this year. I pray they'll listen to it being preached this year. I pray they'll apply it this year and they'll live it this year and they'll love it this year. That we would be a people of your word. And God, I pray for those who aren't saved here today. Your word is very clear. That there's only one way of salvation and it's by faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray the people today that's lost, whether it be a young, old, anyone in between, that today, God, you would work in their hearts, open their eyes to the wonder of Jesus, and that they put their faith in him today. What a great way to start the new year, by believing in Jesus. So please, God, work in hearts. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.